0: Oh, yeah.
1: We're back. We've been gone. It's the dead period of the NBA season. But Above the Break is back. And we have a guest because we are talking Celtics. Divine Sweater Sweatervention with Alex Goldberg of Celtics Lab. And most importantly, the bassist. He's slapping the bass. Yes, not upright sideways chill of the indie pop band, which I saw live and I very much enjoyed divine
0: sweater. So Alex, tell these, tell these plebeians what's up. Oh, hello plebeians. Nice to speak to you. Um, I'm Alex. It's really fun to be on here uh, with above the break. Uh, I'm a passionate Boston Celtics fan who you can check out on Celtics lab podcast of the CLNS media Network. And I am also, as mentioned, the bass player for the Indie Pop Darlings Divine Sweater. Um, if you haven't heard of us, look us up on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, YouTube, whatever streaming or social media platform you use. We're there. Uh, we just released a big fat whopper of an album on May. in May. Uh, we just wrapped up our first big tour off of that album, uh, and we got to meet Nevin at the show in dc along with many other shows so uh check it out if you like music and check out celtics lab if you like the boston celtics
1: james are you an indie are you an indie pop guy because i get the sense i get the sense you're you're like give me some new york rap
2: yeah new york rap is my my primary bag but i I like indie pop stuff man i like i listen to a lot of things i listen to a lot of r&b and and jazz and even a little bit of like Metal or punk or whatever you like, you know, and, and definitely some 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 indie pop stuff as well. So, yeah, man,
0: keep it flexible. I, I am also a big appreciator of the New York hip hop scene, as is our drummer, Chris, and our keyboard player, Steve. So we that. definitely we definitely are big fans of all that. Well, if you guys
1: ever if you ever want to go the indie pop Lincoln Park route, I got a rapper <laughs> up in St. John's, Newfoundland, who might be able to drop some sick
0: verses for you. His name I, is James Piercy. I, I think uh we've been waiting to eventually break into rap rock. You know, it's it's been kind of a long time coming. And you know, I think we think of ourselves as limp biscuit for girls who cry to themselves to sleep on antidepressants. Ah. So then <laughs> <laughs> who who isn't
2: waiting to break into rap rock these days anyway? Exactly.
1: Any <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the episode, which we're gonna be talking about Celtics, because we have a Celtics expert even though i'm not even sure if you're irish which lowers your expert expert tier understanding of the franchise i'm sure by zero percent But i want to just hang
0: out with irish people i don't know i mean dude there's
1: they're everywhere we're <laughs> everywhere we're like yeah. we're a part of all of the whites i meet it's ridiculous they, <laughs> i i cannot the potato famine ruined this country and ireland more more ireland more still. so ireland yeah Okay, um, but I think it's somewhat humorous how I met Alex. I was at Comet Pizza slash Comet Ping Pong to see a show for a guy on my soccer team, who I think they were like, what, the headliner, Dorinda?
0: And... Uh, Dorinda, they were opening for us,
1: yeah. there, Yeah, and or I, I don't know, I was drunk. <laughs> so I'm going to preface this whole story with I might have been drunk, but probably 100% was. And Divine Sweater came on and it was indie pop. But I I am a big indie pop fan. And I was like, oh shit, this is the type of music that I liked when I still was like actively like trying to increase my musical catalog. And I had a great time. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna get some merch because I know how these these smaller bands are. The merch goes straight to them instead of straight to fucking comet ping pong, which side note. Have you, if you've ever heard of Pizzagate, this Comet Ping Pong is where the Pizzagate happened. This is where allegedly Democratic politicians, not I'm going to say allegedly, this is where crazy people on the internet said Democratic yeah. politicians <laughs> had like a, like a sex ring of children and like all sorts of crazy shit. This was that venue, okay? So wow. we're, like, we're in the weeds, okay? Yeah. And so I go up, and I get the merch, I'm talking to the lead singer. I don't know, I forget her name. She Megan, lovely woman. Megan is great. And we're just shooting the shit. And somehow basketball came up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love basketball. I actually do a basketball podcast. And she goes, well, guess what? <laughs> Our bassist does a basketball podcast. And I'm thinking indie pop band. Basketball podcast. This shit's probably has fewer listeners than above the break. <laughs> then I find out, no, it's Celtics Lab. And I said, Nevin, you're drunk. You have one chance to make friends with someone who's a somebody. And so that's how we met.
0: We'll take it. Well, I re- I distinctly remember meeting you for the first time. And I think the reason that Megan asked about basketball is cuz you were wearing a shirt which had a bunch of NBA logos on it. So I think I think that's probably what that was. But that show was a blast. It was so much fun. Again, really packed in crowd. We had, you know, 110 people there or something. Uh, and so for you to find me and single me out amongst that crunch of people, uh, I think was a really impressive feat by you and speaks to potentially your vision and awareness while, uh, visibly impaired, you know, you (laughs) did did a nice job there.
1: (laughs) Look, man, I'm not saying I could average 10 assists a game while drunk. Point God. (laughs) Yeah. I point. Yes. The drunk point God. (laughs) Fuck all of this great backstory, you know, that's let's get to the meat of this and let's talk about the Celtics off season, their upcoming season. And I guess we'll probably talk a little bit about what I have to imagine was a like a weird end of the season. So I think let's just kick it off with that, like just to kind of set the vibe. How did Celtics fans react to the way the season ended for them?
0: Yeah, you know, it was a really weird year generally for the Boston Celtics, obviously starting off with, you know, having a different coach a week before the season started, Um, the kind of the Malcolm Brogdon trade, uh, you know, the kind of on-court play, which was at times like dominant to the point of being silly, but plagued by all of these weird inconsistencies where the team just kind of seemed to lose focus over and over again in critical moments. Um, It was a very kind of odd season for the Celtics. And I think the mood of Celtics fans after uh, they lost in game seven, in the Eastern conference finals was really anxious more than anything anxious about the future of the team and about kind of where this core was headed. Did this team kind of peak with their finals run against golden state? Uh, Did they make the wrong choice in hiring Joe Missoula to be the head coach? What was going to happen with, this rotation that, you know, looked so, so good in the regular season and then really was underwhelming kind of the whole playoffs, even though they had some epic moments against like Philly, for example, and nearly pulled off the most impressive comeback in NBA history, arguably, um, and only to fall short when Jason Tatum sprained his ankle on the first play of game seven, which I'm definitely not upset about. Um yeah. Well, that... James, James <laughs> can tell you a
1: little bit about key players getting injured in key moments and causing him pain.
2: Yeah, I'm a I'm a Rockets fan, which actually creates kind of a funny dynamic here as well, obviously, as we yes. just snatched up Udoka. Yeah. Uh, but so the, the Nevin's referring to the Chris Paul hamstring, also known as the worst moment of my life, probably so.
0: <laughs> I remember that I I really thought the Rockets were going to win that series, man. I I'm I I'm hurting that. for you, but yeah, yeah um, but hey, you know, I think Shangun's going to be really good. No, <laughs> so don't don't bring up Shangun. James is, James
1: James is a he he's the guy who's like just give me give me Time Lord, give me a guy like Time Lord. I am, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm very jealous of Time, time Lord. Board, minus Al-Gun. the health,
0: yeah, yeah. We'll see. Minus we'll the health see. is always the case. Yeah, no, I don't know. I think. There was a level of anxiety coming out of Celtics fandom after that um the the Eastern Conference uh finals loss um with regard to just the uncertainty that was coming into this offseason I think everybody kind of sensed that something was going to shuffle up that things were going to change obviously Jalen Brown's contract was kind of lingering over that whole thing and we'll get into that I think in a little bit um but I, I think everybody kind of went into this offseason thinking, um, all right, what is what is kind of the plan here? Like, what is the next step? Are we going to shake this core up? Or are we going to run it back? Uh, is the coach going to be safe? Like, what what is the kind of what is the thinking here? Because I think a lot of Celtics fans, myself included, at various points in the season, believed that um, they they really should have made the finals and they should have potentially been in a position to win the finals. Now, I will say about that, given how the playoffs went, I did not think that our chances against the eventual champions, Denver Nuggets, were all that great. I just I, I watched some highlights earlier today. I just don't think anybody was getting in Jokic's way this year. Um, but I do think it's a it's a relative disappointment uh to kind of bow out when uh the path was really pretty open for them. Um, and, you know, I think heading into this new season, there are some things where it feels like we've kind of solved some issues and there are some areas where I feel like, uh, you know, we are kind of, the things are going to pop up again and we're going to have to be ready to address those as they come. I also think that the second apron clock is ticking for this team in a real way. And I think that realistically, you know, I think the Celtics are going to be, pretty good, but I also think that they now have a pretty clear and defined window of opportunity, and if they do not succeed in that window, there are going to be some significant changes.
1: So James, what what are what are your impressions on the Celtics season? Because you know I was very high on them. I think you were also incredibly high. On I, it would be hard not to have been high on the Celtics, seeing as how, they were awesome all season long.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think the Heat were just a difficult variable to predict in the first place, you know? Like, like the Bucks should have beat them, Boston should have beat them. Like, I, I, I had Milwaukee coming out of the East, but if it wasn't going to be Milwaukee, I thought it would be Boston. So I was as surprised by the outcome as anybody, you know? Um... Didn't go that way. I, I I wonder if adjusting to Missoula's system relative to Udoka's system, which I think is a little more like rudimentary, uh, might might have led to some of those inconsistencies and losses of focus throughout the season. And that maybe with, with another summer to adjust to Missoula's preferred style, which I think features a little more like a little more off ball movement, a little more cutting and and, and off ball screening, and, and it's just a little more like complex. Maybe the Celtics with with a summer to figure that out uh might look better next year you know and 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 I also like the Porzingis acquisition so I'm still high on where Boston stands but it's definitely fair to say that that second apron is 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 like looming you know and and like if 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 we don't see a finals appearance at least another finals appearance this year who's to say what they might do next summer man a, a lot of things could happen
1: yeah. yeah i i do think it is it's amazing that i think the Celtics because they haven't won a championship like the bucks did recently I think the Celtics are really that team where, like, if they don't win a title, like, just everything's kind of a disappointment, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the Bucs could come up short, but it's like, they got theirs. Yeah. Um, The Sixers, I think, are sort of in that vein, but they're so like, they just, I was writing something about, like, the most valuable players in the league in terms of, like, their contract and, like, their relative to their production, and I ended the one about Joel Embiid being, like, you know we have a player like this like you always have a chance to win a championship unless you're the Sixers and you're just like perpetually trying to make the situation as toxic and fucked as possible and so like i think we could kind of like step them down and it's like you know the only other team where it's like like even the Suns where you're like well if they don't want a championship this is a disappointment it's like i that's true but like the window is so short and it's so right now that if they were to miss out like this season and next like it would be a disappointment but i feel like the Celtics got to the finals with such a young core and these guys are still so young and they're going to be there for so long. That's like the idea is that it's like, you get that many bites at the apple with a roster, this good, you should take, take something home. And like, I don't like talking about teams in that way, just because I think it's incredibly unfair because it's just really hard to win a title. And last season, I thought that they were the best team in the league. They had like all the best underlying metrics, and the Heat rode this wave of three-point shooting luck to the finals. And the Celtics' game plan, especially offensively, was we're good at hitting threes, and when we hit our threes, we're going to beat the shit out of you. And they ran into that monster called Heat Culture, which apparently shrinks the rim when you hit, when you bomb from deep. And it's just... I mean, and the other thing is this, they went down 3-0 and they forced a game seven. Like, I know that's one of those things where it's like there's no moral victories and consolation prizes, but, like, teams don't usually do that. Yeah. And, like, I know that's, like, not going to make the season feel better, but for all the, like, inconsistencies, all the, like, why isn't this team better right now? Because I think that's, like, the main thing with the Celtics that I've, always, I've felt the past two seasons because I've been super high on them and it's always just, like, why are they not better in this moment? Like this is the moment where I don't need them to be great. I just need them to not be this bad. And it's like it's like they just pick and choose the right moments to fuck up. And you're just like,
0: yeah, stop doing that it is it is very weird how, um like I think back to the Hawks series, right? where, um, you know, the Celtics were up three one pretty convincingly in that series, and I think, Everybody, myself included, thought, all right, this will be a gentleman's sweep. We'll get out of here and move on to Philly in round two. And eventually they did do that, but they had to do a full extra game's worth of minutes and miles. Because, you know, in the last um, three minutes of that game with a 10 point lead, the Celtics completely melted down. Marcus Smart started throwing the ball all over the place. Jalen Brown got stonewalled on a bunch of shot attempts, you know, like. These things just kind of kept happening where they would play an extremely good game for like 46 minutes. And then the last two minutes, they would just completely forget how to execute Uh, or they would start kind of jogging as if they, you know, a 10 point lead meant like, all right, we've won the game. And it's those little moments that really do kind of separate a very good team from a championship team. Like you look at like Denver and how they kind of approached the playoffs. Like, Jokic was out there even when the game was, you know, over with 10, 12-point lead and two minutes left. Those guys didn't screw around at any point throughout the playoffs. Like, when they had a situation to close things out, they did it. And they did it over and over and over again. And I think part of that is that that Denver team, I mean, those guys had really grown together over the past three years and knew each other, like, and their play styles and everything about that team extremely well. And it certainly helps to have, you know, the reigning two time MVP playing at the way that he was. But like that was a team that was really confident and clear in its hierarchy and its identity and uh, everything that they were trying to do in those kind of late game pressure situations. For Boston, they never really quite had that. I think there was a sense that Jason Tatum is supposed to be the guy in those situations, but there's also the reality, which is that, you know, um, every other team also knows that Jason Tatum is going to be the guy in that situation. So, you know, you look at Miami, they were hammering him with doubles and with late switches and throwing absolutely everything that they possibly could to take Tatum off of his rhythm. And you would think with the Celtics team being the way it was that, you know, you've got arguably the best number two in the league in Jalen Brown. It should be his chance to kind of step up and get things done in that situation. But I do think that um, Jalen Brown is an amplifier. He is not a carrier. And I have a lot of respect for Jalen Brown as a player. I think he's really, really good at so many different things. But I think the main thing that he brings to the table is that when Jalen Brown is rolling, The going up against the Celtics feels like going up against a tsunami. There's nothing you can do. He amplifies everybody else on the floor. He's not really a carrier. He's not a guy that will put the team on his back in the same way that Jason Tatum is capable of. And too often in the playoffs, I thought that the Celtics, when in those late game situations, when the defense was completely keyed in on stopping Jason Tatum at all costs, um, Jalen Brown went into carry mode rather than amplification mode. And, uh, you know, I'm a bass player, I'm a musician, I work a lot with amplifiers and things of that nature. And um, an amplifier is a really good tool for filling out an entire room and for making everything kind of sound together all at once. If you have one amp cranked up way too loud, it's gonna ruin the mix and it's gonna mess up the rest of the sound. And I think During this playoff run, to me, there were times where Jalen Brown seemed like he had his mix a little bit off and his amplifier cranked up a little bit too loud when, uh, you know, maybe Derek White had it rolling that game or maybe, you know, uh, like they were supposed to run the offense through Brogdon or Horford. And I also want to like be somewhat realistic. I think the Celtics make the finals if Jason Tatum doesn't hurt his ankle. Like I really do feel that way. And I think... If they make the finals and lose to Denver in five games, I'm considering that season an objective success, even if they don't win the title. So it's not like there's a crisis going on for the Boston Celtics right now. But I do think that those little moments, those execution moments, late games, plague them all season. And um, that is the difference between why they uh, got eliminated and why they did not win the title. Yeah, man
2: yeah. I wanna, I want to pick up Nevin, if you don't mind on on that uh music analogy a little bit sure. because and I I may be spoiling uh one of our topics but it's a free association you know uh format here so but do you think that maybe you could say the Celtics are missing their bass player in a sense I feel like Jalen Brown, Is like a lead guitar, right? Like okay, on a more functional practical level. Brown is one of the best shot makers in the NBA and he's one of the best finishers in the NBA. He can't handle the ball for shit, right? And so, like, it's he basically he needs somebody else to put him in a position to succeed. And in a sense, I feel like that's the 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 bass player, man. Like they they need a player that, that keeps the rhythm. That that keeps the team uh focused and balanced. To me, right now, if I could just pluck one player from the NBA and put them on the Boston Celtics, uh, if I were a Celtics fan, it would probably be Tyus Jones, right? Man. Like I, I think they just need like a game manager, a floor general. I think that's how they ended up falling apart sometimes throughout the season. Like, and I want to say this too: every team has to allocate and manage their resources as well as they can, Right. right. The Celtics are obviously very concerned with having like a dominant defense, and I respect that very much. So they they, they double down on Horford and, and Time and Lord, and when they're both healthy, that works, and they've got lots of good defensive wings, and they've got lots of great point-of-attack defenders, but they seem to have punted on point guard play consistently throughout this run, and I think maybe that's something that they're going to have to eventually address, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, I think that was the theory behind the Malcolm Brogdon trade, right? That Malcolm Brogdon would be that guy. Uh, And I think if you look at what happened to the Boston Celtics in the finals against Golden State, it was pretty glaring that that was their biggest deficiency, right? That secondary tertiary playmaker who could galvanize the offense and kind of take things over and make things work when, you know, the ball starts sticking or like defenses start trapping and, you know, kind of keying in on guys. And I think... um, that was the theory obviously Malcolm Brogdon getting hurt at the worst possible time is both predictable and also definitely not what you want uh if you're looking for him in that role um and so i do i i do get the kind of Celtics need a base player idea i do think there is something though to the idea that the Christoph's Porzingis trade is kind of about shuffling those roles around and giving them more stuff that they can go to in those situations, so Christoph Porzingis, if you look at his advanced metrics, was quietly one of the best post players in the league last year.
1: Oh yeah, um, I'm a Wizards fan.
0: Yeah, there you go. And <laughs> you know, he's a three level shot maker. He uh, can kind of score in a variety of different ways. But where I think Porzingis's real value lies is that he is a broken play guy. You can just throw the ball to him in a broken play situation and he can find out something to do with it that guy gets to the line a lot like way more than you would think he does um and i think in general porzingis's value is what can he do you know in a situation where like the initial action doesn't work tatum's being double teamed uh brown can't get loose off the screen what's the plan throw the ball to Porzingis and he'll make something happen because he's 7-2 and he can shoot over everybody. So in some ways, I think the plan would be for Porzingis to be the Celtics base player, so to speak, in this analogy. It does mean that, uh, and you know, they like to the idea that they're kind of punting on point guard play, um, I'm not sure that they straight up punted on it, but they're certainly not planning on having their guards be their primary initiators. I think Brad Stevens' vision for this roster, even back to when he was a coach, has largely relied on the idea of being huge at every position and still having playmaking and shooting on top of that. So ultimately, I do think their plan is to make Jason Tatum into a point forward, um, is to basically have him bringing up the ball, initiating the action, sprinting off of screens, and basically making him into jumbo Steph Curry. That is, I think, the thinking of this roster design. I think Derek White um, is there primarily to be an all-defense team caliber guard defender and to bring the ball up and really be there as a cutter and as somebody who can just get the Celtics into their offense quicker. Because if there's one thing that drove me insane last year as a Celtics fan is that the Celtics would take an eternity to get into their action. They would just burn eight seconds off of the clock just waiting to set things up. And this team is so lethal when they just go fast, when they just like use their size and speed to overwhelm other teams. And I think the thinking behind having White move to that point guard role is, we want the guy bringing the ball up the floor to not be worried about like taking an intricate amount of time to set up the play, we want him to go. So in some ways, if we're gonna continue the music analogy, I think they're saying, we want Kristaps Porzingis on the bass and we want Derek White on the drums because we need the pace and we need the rhythm going from that guy to just like keep the ball moving. But at the end of the day, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are still the guitars. They're still the ones that you're getting all of the flashy licks and uh, all of the kind of big body of the sound. And Jason Tatum also has lead vocals. So he's got a lot of responsibilities, but yeah. um, you know, I yeah. think I think that's the thinking is that basically we want Porzingis to use his size to kind of be that consistent, like broken play guy. And then we want Tatum initiating the offense.
1: That's interesting. I mean, my, I don't see, I'm not sure if I completely agree with that vision for the team, just on account of the, like Porzingis was good, um, kind of as a post score last season, but historically he hasn't been great. I think Przingis is a very good player. I know he had a great season last year. I mean, I think he was like top 25 in, in box plus minus. He's a great rim rim protector. And he's a- always going to be a guy who's stretching the floor, which we know Miz- Missoula like loves. Like he it's like, can, can oh, he yeah. shoot threes? Like, he's like, cool, let's get him in there no matter what. Um, But Przingis, you know, we'll, we'll see about that, that post scoring essentially. Right. Like, you know, a guy has a career year from three-point range. That's not always his new level. Granted, Porzingis is yeah. going to be in a better situation to convert on that just because he's got better teammates, so less attention. The thing with yeah. him that, and I think with this overall roster, that troubles me a bit, and it's not so much about losing Marcus Smart. Um, It's more about they don't really have an elite playmaker, right? Like, yeah. Porzingis is not a good passer. Right, no. like, 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 he is a play finisher, he is a seven foot two Laurie Marketing. Um, like, which means he's got more defensive utility, probably less, you know, pump and go utility yeah. than Marketing, but like, he's a play finisher. And I like Tatum, but like, Tatum to me is actually like, he's a guy that I want off ball, like, I know he can handle the ball, I know their best offense a lot of times was let's do pick and roll with Jason Tatum. But this is a guy who like, he shot like sub 30% or right at 30% on like off the dribble three pointers. Right? Like that, like, and he's great off the catch. Yeah. um. And so, you know, and the way Jalen Brown plays, like he's a guy that you want, you know, getting and going, but you don't want him bringing the ball up, initiating offense. Can't go left. Passing is a problem. Turnovers come, whether it's through just a lack of a handle or just not the best decision-making. Like, when I, you look at the best teams, if we're going to use the music analogy, it's it's like the Beatles, it's like the Beach Boys. Their lead singer and their bassist is the same guy, right? Like, you know, like, it tends to be one guy doing both at, like, a super high level. And, like, I just don't know if, like, Tatum, like like, how, I don't know if he's, Capable yet, or if he ever will be, because it's like super high bar to clear, especially for a player um that's, you know, playing his position to be a lead ball handler and initiator at that level. It's not that like he can't do it, it's the level needs to be incredibly high. And yeah. so I'm a little bit like, I think what we've basically danced around as we go through this entire endeavor is, you know, what the Celtics really fucking need they really need a point guard and not just a point guard an elite point guard because if you look at the best teams in the league they all have guys who are elite point guards right like jimmy butler's not a point guard but like you can have him play the point guard position and he's elite at it nuggets they have Jokic, and then they have murray who's like their secondary point guard the lakers they have lebron right like And the Celtics, you go, well, who's that guy? And I think that's the one thing that they've been missing. And I give them credit is that like they're while the rest of the league zigs, they are zagging in that sense for a top tier team saying, you know, we don't, maybe we don't need this. Maybe we can build a team where we have a bunch of guys who are just so good that it will amplify whoever's playing our point guard position. But that to me has always been like why I feel like they struggle in the clutch. It's, why are teams good in the clutch? They have that guy that they can just say, here's the ball. You're not going to fuck it up. Good things yeah. are going to happen. And our like crunch time offense is going to be fine because you can handle the double. You can handle the extra pressure. You can make those decisions when the pressure is highest. And they they just felt like they missed that. But I was looking this up before we recorded. You know, what's interesting is, you know, their, their clutch time offense two seasons ago through Doka was like dog shit. It was like, yeah, I think it was like maybe really the worst bad. league. It was like historically bad. It was like, I looked at it. I was like, how did this team get to the NBA finals and go? I mean, to they, the- were,
0: they were sub 500 basically up until the all-star break.
1: They went yeah. 10 and 22 in games where there was like, you know, quote unquote clutch time, which is insane yeah. for a team that won as many games as they did. Um, But this season, their offense obviously... Fell off compared to the regular season um, overall, which was like 117 points per 100 possessions, but it dropped to like only 113. Like their their clutch time offense this past season was better. Yeah, I mean, and so maybe we're that... making maybe we're, I'm just wondering this. I feel like at a certain point we're actually can we're we're conflating two issues. We looked at the team two seasons ago, and what was their biggest problem? They couldn't do it in the cr- the clutch. This season, they came up short, and they came up shorter than they had the season before. And the issue is they can't come up in the clutch. And it's like, well, maybe that's not actually the case. Maybe it's just the same problem that it always was. They don't have that guy, that, like, S-tier offensive initiator. And, like, that's kind of what every champion has. And they're trying their best to build a championship team without that guy, which I think is noble. But we'll find out if it's, you know a fool's errand, Domos.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the clutch stats because, you know, it is it's true that the Celtics were better this year in the clutch even though they weren't particularly great. But I think back to that ser- series against Philly where like the Celtics were on the ropes and then Jason Tatum basically single-handedly pulled yeah. them back from the brink and won game 6 on the road and then dominated in game 7. To me, that is a pretty clutch performance from Jason Tatum. So I don't think it's that he can't do it. I think the situation that the Celtics found themselves in the playoffs in that was challenging is that they dug themselves too big of a hole for those clutch situations to matter. So I actually think their clutch execution was not that bad. I think this problem is that they were letting go of the rope and losing focus in situations that were kind of not clutch situations where they were just kind of giving away dumb games that they should have won like I, mm-hmm. I went to game one of the eastern conference finals against miami and the celtics came out flat from the jump in that game they just never looked like they had their rhythm uh spolster's defense completely took them out of it and jimmy butler big dogged them as he does over and over and over again in these matchups and to me i think the issue was for me less at least this year was less the Celtics' clutch performance and more the games where the Celtics kind of dug themselves in such a big hole that they didn't even have a chance to deliver a clutch performance,
2: you know? I am I want to step in on one thing there and, and, Devin, push back on you a little bit, which is that I'm not sure that Jimmy Butler is uh, out of Tatum's reach as a primary, like, facilitator slash <laughs> yeah. lead ball handler slash point forward. Yeah, like, like, Butler... I love Jimmy Butler, you know, incredible ball player, but like, not necessarily like a, like a prodigious visionary passer, you know, like, like, I don't, I don't think he's got anything in that regard that Tatum can't get to, uh, might be more of a mentality that separates the two of them well, at this point, I think, with, you know, with
1: Jimmy, with Jimmy's like the anti Jalen Brown and that like his ball security is just, absolute. yeah. That's like true. he's one of these guys where it's like, is his playmaking elite elite? no but his playmaking is good and his ball security is maybe like the best in the league like for a player that plays the way he does his lack of turnovers is absolutely like batshit crazy and so like and to me like that part kind of like elevates his playmaking and that like the positive plays they're not the most positive like the negative plays are like the least negative so like on the aggregate like when he's initiating offense it's just the efficiency level is like what you would get from like you know like an elite point guard. Who's like, you know, got the quote unquote visionary passing. Um, Yeah. And
0: I mean, to his credit, you know, one of the things that Jimmy does really well, which is so simple, but so effective is he just tucks the ball under his arm, like a running back and then takes two steps and drives right into his matchups, chests and either scores or gets fouled. That is a really good play. That is really hard to stop exactly because of the ball security thing. Like, you're not pulling the ball out of Jimmy Butler's hands when he's got his arm tucked like that because his arms are fucking gigantic. There's no chance. Like it's not going to happen. It's because so he's, think... he's
1: fueled by Michelob light or Michelob ultra.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I I think for sure that there are like, I mean, we're talking Jimmy Butler's 34 and Jason Tatum's what? 25. Right. Off the top of my head.
1: Is Jason Tatum still 19? Is he still 19? Yeah. Right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So something like that. So I, uh, I mean, I think there there are ways in which Tatum has better gifts than Butler too. I know, I know Especially the off the dribble, shooter. yeah, as a shooter. I know the off the dribble shooting isn't really there yet, but but he's got more potential as a shooter. You know, like 100%. yeah, like he's like he's a better natural shooter. So, and he might even be a more creative passer. But it, you know, Butler's physicality is a big advantage, and that ball security, of course, is is probably the biggest difference between yeah. them right now. Yeah.
1: Okay, I have this. I have this great idea. We've been talking about the past. Fuck that noise. Well, we're gonna talk about the past, sort of, but we're gonna talk about how the past, the very recent past, is gonna affect the future. And we like to call these off-season moves, and they are probably James' favorite things because he loves him a good fake trade. I don't know if he loves it, but he's got a love-hate job-related relationship with the fake trades. Just so you know, Alex, he's sure. If you want, if you want, if you're like, I need a Celtics fake trade. You gotta hit up James, be like James. Throw
0: this bitch in the machine. Let's see what can happen. You would Come love my it. buddy, Devin. He is a monster on the Fanspo fake trade machine. I <laughs> love it. I okay. love it. So let's just talk about the first major move that the Celtics did. We, we, we've
1: talked about all the key parts of it. We basically alluded to it this entire time. But their trade of Marcus Smart, who, my God, when he got traded, the amount of times I heard he's the heart and soul of this team, I'm like, look, here's the thing. Like, this isn't Neon Genesis Evangelion, right? Like, the EVAs don't have... Like, there's not, like, these teams or EVAs with, like, beating fucking hearts, okay? Like, <laughs> like, like, what the fuck are we doing? The heart and soul of the team? Like, look, like, I know people say that shit because they love Marcus Smart. I love me some Marcus Smart. But they traded him for Christoph Porzingis, a better player. Now, is he a better fit? We'll find that, we'll find out, and we'll talk about that. But they got the better player, and they got two first-round picks, one of which, those first-round picks... I believe they turned into four seconds and Jordan yeah. Walsh through a series of trades. So, like, functionally, they got Kristaps Porzingis, Jordan Walsh, four seconds for Marcus Smart. That seems, on the aggregate, James, like, if you were to do a fake trade, would you even think about making this trade? Because you'd go, you know, that seems maybe like the Celtics are, like, somehow winning this trade pretty significantly. I don't know why Memphis would do it.
2: Yeah, I was definitely pretty surprised that Boston got draft capital back uh in addition to the best player in the deal. I don't I don't, I don't really know how that worked out, but Boston fans don't mind. That's that's for sure.
1: Well, I'm sure yeah. some of them do. And that's my next question. Is there like how, how large like if we're doing polling, what's the polling on the how could you get rid of Marcus Smart and then the fuck yeah, we got Kristaps Porzingis? Like what's the polling on those two?
0: Um, So I would say it's a borderline 50-50 split amongst Celtics fans, to be honest. Um, And I understand why, you know, Marcus Smart, I think, was a hugely instrumental part for Boston in just getting to this point in the first place. Like he so Marcus Smart gets drafted right after the Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trades, like literally So there's the season that they trade Pierce and Garnett in the off season. And then the Celtics are absolutely horrendous the season after that, like Rondo gets hurt midway through that season, doesn't come back torn ACL. um, And the Celtics are out here like running with like Phil Pressey and Chris Humphries. It it was a dark time.
1: That Um, that team would win an NCAA championship. I can tell you that much.
0: (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) Um, So for Marcus to come in the next year, And then for the Celtics to immediately get back into the playoffs, even if they were a walkover eighth seed just to get dominated by LeBron, like I think that really spoke to Celtics fandom at the time. They did not want another year of just like being a crappy garbage also ran, uh, you know, and then for Marcus and, and Isaiah to come in and kind of carry the Celtics right back to like, oh, we're doing something here. We're actually building towards something was a pretty big moment for this generation of Celtics fans. And then for Marcus to consistently be on teams that just got better and better and better and better over the course of what was basically a, what, nine-year run with the team? Like, Marcus Smart has a lot of fans in Boston, myself included. As he should, as he should. Of course.
1: I mean, Look like I don't think he should have won Defensive Player of the Year because like it, I almost think perimeter players should never win it. The only guy I maybe would consider was like Alex Caruso this past season, like did some crazy fucking shit, but um that's a different story. Smart is a good player, but like he he has his limitations, right? Like great sure. point of attack defender, super tough, but man, like you're a Celtics fan and like you you probably have better insight on this, but I I've, I've always felt when I've watched Marcus Smart you can tell after, like, the first four or five possessions whether or not this is going to be a really bad or really good off- offensive performance from him. It's just, like, and, like, that's one of those things where it's just, like, point guard fundamentally in this day and age is an offensive first position, right? Like, yeah. and like he his offense, like, the shooting is inconsistent. The playmaking, sometimes you're like, damn. And then other times you're
0: like, damn, dude, come yeah. on. Yeah. No, I definitely know what you mean. And you know, that's that's quintessential to the Marcus Smart experience, is he is as volatile a player as I've ever seen in terms of on-the-court performance. Um, the highs are so high with that guy. Like when he, you know, rips the ball away from Kawhi Leonard in, you know, a clutch moment to get a game ceiling layup or something like that. That's like that's gonna endear Marcus Smart to Boston fans every single day of the week. And you know, Boston loves guys who are made in the image of KG and the chief and all of the like dive on the floor, loose ball, fight for every possession guys. Like it's no wonder that Marcus Smart is widely loved for all of that. But at the same time, I think if you were to identify a single player who got the most guff out of anybody in these past eight years, it would be Marcus Smart in large part because like his decision-making was at times not great. You would have critical turnovers. I think back to game five, against the Bucks in the East semis last year when the Celtics um, were up in that game and had a chance to win that series outright. And Marcus Smart um, completely fumbled the game away. Like with the last two minutes, he he almost by himself blew that lead and turned that into a seven game series. Um, like that stuff happens with Marcus and he can be kind of maddening in that way. As far as like the premise of guards should be initiators and score first um, in the modern NBA, I think there's definitely some logic to that. At the same time, I know that Brad Stevens was tearing his hair out watching Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker get shredded in the playoffs. And I think there is something to the idea that that only gets you so far if your guard is a complete and utter defensive liability as a lot of the best scoring and point playmaking point guards are like Steph Curry and Jamal Murray are very, very good. They are the, um, they are the exception. They are not the rule. Both of those guys can hold up defensively despite their size. Um, But for the vast majority of super high scoring guards and playmaking guards, they're always going to be defensive liabilities. And I think if you think about the Celtics, construction as a defense first team pretty much always throughout this era, Brad Stevens was trying to make a lineup in which there is not a single player that you can hunt defensively. And Marcus Smart is great if you're trying to do that. But um, I definitely, uh, as somebody who like love, love, love watching Marcus Smart play, and he literally was my favorite player on this team, this, this one really hurts. But I also... Knowing that they have Derek White in the chamber, I think, allowed them to make this move. And in particular, knowing that Memphis um, has been lusting after Marcus Smart for years now, because shocker, they are they were tired of the Dylan Brooks experience and wanted the adult version of Dylan Brooks, which is Marcus Smart. Um, so I, this, is, I, this I, is great. This is great. Yeah, James, I mean, James
1: I've, I've been trying to tell James that <laughs> the Dylan Brooks contract for the Rockets, not not the best one. And no, I never said lot... I never
2: said it was a slam dunk either in all fairness I you know mean,
1: in all fair that's that's true I'll give you that I just it, it's funny that you you say this because I've been saying similar things about yeah. Dylan Brooks um who also like you know well, let's not talk about Dylan Brooks because sure. <laughs> but, um okay yeah. so like uh, yeah go ahead James
2: yeah I I think Alex makes a, a good point especially in that uh Derek White essentially made smart expendable and for me when I'm looking at it, NBA teams and especially contenders, I could be a proponent of like change for change sake, I guess. Bottom line is like they felt short of expectations. So they look at their roster, they go, okay, we've got uh, two really strong defensive guards who are a little bit inconsistent on the offensive end. Is, is that really, I- I'll go back again to allocating resources. Is-, is that the best use of our resources? Or should we look into flipping one of those guards? And they were able to flip one of those guards for a 7 2 three level score weak side shot blocker, you know, it's like it, it had to be done in my opinion, basically.
1: Yes. I agree with the allocating resources part, but there's one topic I wanted to touch on. Christoph Porzingis is a center. Mm. Time Lord is a center. Al yeah. Horford, he can play power forward, but really as he ages, I think we're going to see him play more as a center just
0: because the ability to move on the court. So, And because of who his coaches. Like Joe Missoula prefers five out lineups.
1: Well, and that's I think that's one of the reasons, and maybe this can be a double, a double conversation is you guys were talking, and I agree with this. The Celtics, especially in the Brad Stevens era, it's all been about let's have a very good defensive team. Sure. If Isaiah Thomas is going to be the best or one of the two best offensive players in the league for a season, we'll run with that. But we want we want guys who can defend. And Joe Mazzullo's coming, and he said, you know what? Defense is cool, but let's score some fucking points, guys. Let's let's light it up. And it really feels like this is now Joe Mazzullo's team. Like, Porzingis is a good rim protector, but the defensive infrastructure the Celtics built over this period of time was all about, like, this dude can defend up and down his position right he can go if it's a power forward he can defend fives and threes right like we they wanted to build that kind of interchangeable be able to switch be able to do basically everyone can cover everyone type of stuff and that's one of the things that i think is very different between smart and um white is that smart i think is can more credibly defend bigger players just because of his strength than white so even though white has better length i think He can, like, he had no chance against Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler put, you know, put a Michelob Ultra into his shoulder and, you know, create a a bunch of separation. And so now this is like a very offensive, more offensive leaning team, less switchable. And they now have three centers. Mm -hmm. And what I kind of want to talk about is what the fuck is this center rotation going to look like? Because I could see all three of these guys being able to play with one another. Now I don't, I don't see all three of these guys being able to play at the same time, but maybe that that's, makes sense yeah. with the age and injury concerns of the, the trio.
0: I think that's right. I think if you look at all three of those guys are liable to miss time at some point this year, Al Horford is 37. Um, he, Like he's been pretty much an iron man since he's been in Boston, but he was visibly aging last year in the playoffs. His shot fell off a cliff. And even though defensively he is still genuinely like a top five defender in the league, which is crazy. um, He, you know, he lost a step a little bit last year in the playoffs. And I think there's something to the idea that uh, Miami was going out of his, out of their way to try and get Al Horford switched out on faster perimeter players and profit off of that. Um, So I ultimately do think that the starting lineup on opening night is probably going to be one in which Al Horford comes off the bench um I think that that is not a slight to Al Horford at all who again I think is an excellent excellent basketball player but he's an excellent basketball player who probably should be playing closer to like 19 to 21 minutes a game than 30 um and uh I think there is something to the idea of Porzingis as a kind of drop center on defense, who's just there to patrol the rim and getting back to what Robert Williams was so good at during the finals run, which is being this incredible rover giant beast uh, who could just kind of run out and like disrupt passes and block shots in the three-point arc and just like generally obliterate people's offensive game plan. I think they I definitely they want to get back to Rob being that kind of free safety. And part of that is on Rob's health. Like he just needs to be healthy. Um, He definitely got pushed around a little bit by just like really strong, really physical centers. uh, And that is something he's gonna need to work on. Um, But I think ideally the the reason why the Celtics feel comfortable parting with, for example, Grant Williams is because I think they plan to move Al Horford into the Grant Williams role to basically have Al Horford be a much better Grant Williams um, which I don't I don't necessarily disagree with. I think the reality is that all three of those guys can start if needed, and part of the regular season will be figuring out what actually works best for them uh, in that sense. I think um, there's definitely a world in which I could see Missoula gravitating towards Porzingis at center and then putting Tatum at the four and then having a lot of shooting around them Uh, that, that doesn't strike me as crazy at all. Um, and I think, uh, the reality is that, you know, as far as flexibility for future moves goes, if the Celtics are going to be making a trade in the near future of any substance to change their rotation, the reality is probably that one of those three guys will be involved in that trade. I don't necessarily think that Christoph Sperzingis is a Celtics lifer. I think that he is going to be here at least for the next couple of years. Uh, and they're gonna try that out. And if it doesn't work, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they're dealing him for somebody else.
1: Yeah, I mean they extend he's on thirty-six million this season and they extend him for two years, 60 million, which is, dude, when you can extend guys in the NBA who are still in their prime and still good players and pay them yeah. less money, that's 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 a good that's a good deal. It's um, really
0: team friendly and tradable. Yeah, like yeah. A, as is, by the way, Robert Williams deal.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, if, oh, if yeah. Robert Williams is one of those dudes where if he plays 65 games next season, his trade value is gonna be through the roof. Um yeah. he's just one of those guys where all you need is like one healthy season for a team to be like, oh yeah, he's fine now. Yeah. Like, bro, like his his he's gonna he might we might be looking with a Lonzo Ball situation his knee down the line. Um, I which really is, hope that's not the case. I, yeah, I, I would hate yeah. that. Both Those players I love, but it's just like the amount of knee surgeries and like all that stuff. Yeah. James, do you, do you have any... You're an Al Horford fan. You know, I'm a Porzingis fan. We're both Time Lord fans. I mean, we're fans of all three of these guys, I think. How do you think the center rotation is going to um, play out? And because I, I do agree that Porzingis and Time Lord would be your preferred go to option but robert like everyone wants to preserve al horford's body cuz he's old which i agree with you know he is he's one of those guys where i think he's still an elite player 20 minutes a night stretch start stretching that to 30 the production goes down and the ability to play in a deep playoff run i think starts getting lessened but i also yep. think that like time lord's body is so fragile that he might be the 20 minute Per game guy, because I think the upside he gives is so high, especially defensively. What do you think about Al Horford or Zingas front line? Because I think that offensively, I mean, well, I don't think it'd be good defensively, obviously. Offensively, I mean, we're talking about, like, you could play, you could play five out and two in if you wanted, which I don't know how many teams could actually ever do that with the same lineup.
2: I think a, a full-time Porzingis Horford pairing. Certainly, it's a pairing they they can go to. You know, it's a lineup yeah. they can use. But as like a primary lineup, I think it's a little too slow, uh, mostly offensively. I think it's going to limit their transition opportunities, and and it's going to limit their switchability on defense. If if Time Lord's not viable, like due to injury primarily, uh, I I would say that I, I would like the, the Porzingis Tatum formation a little bit better. As, as, as the 5-4. I, I I think this is the year that Horford hits the bench, man. As Nevin alluded to, Al Horford's, like, one of my five or ten favorite players of all time, man. I don't, I don't know why just just so fundamentally sound across the board. I just admire a player that, like, does everything well, and I've always loved Big Al. But in this year's playoffs, man, my man looked pretty gassed. Like, it, it pretty much looked like it was just about over. And, and I don't know if partly uh, that – finals run was like his last stand, you know, like, like Horford was just electric in, in, in that finals run. Maybe he left it all out on the floor, man. But last year he looked, he looked old and tired. And so I I, I would be more inclined to go Porzingis Tatum. I think you get a lot of spacing out of that duo and it's pretty like, you know, Tatum's like a fairly versatile defender. He's not an elite defender, but he, but he can guard across positions a little bit. So one way or another you're going to have to design schemes that keep Porzingis in drop coverage for the most part, because, you know, he can't switch. Like, he gets yeah. cooked in space pretty pretty readily, right? So that's why I-, I agree that the optimal look would be Porzingis, Time Lord. It's just a question of Time Lord's health. Defensively, that's such a fantastic duo. If, if-, if Time Lord can just stay healthy, uh, Time Lord is the free safety with Cor- Porzingis in drop coverage. It's going to be really difficult to score on that, I think.
1: Damn, yeah so uh, and, Horford, and, uh, Horford and Time Lord are both 20-minute-a-night guys now, which, I mean, that's, the, that's the fear. That's the fear. I mean, that's, that's not even a fear if you have Tatum playing the four, well, right?
0: Well, I guess so. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true.
1: But then you have and to lean heavy into Porzingis, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do think Tatum is pretty capable of playing the four. Like, worse oh. comes to worse, he can definitely do that in a pinch, and Brown can slide over to the three, no problem. Um, I, I also, I, I do want to say, though, that, you know, I think we got to give and this is uh, obviously an Al Horford love fest, but we got to give a little more credit to my man who went up basically as the sole defender against the reigning MVP in Joel Embiid and kind of ate his lunch. Um, Like Robert Williams, I think was never fully healthy throughout this entire season. Even during the playoff run, you could tell that he was getting visibly kind of tossed around. Um, Al Horford had a pretty tough road this time around with, Clint Capella, Robert Williams, Clint Capella, Joel Embiid, and then Bam Adebayo back to back to back. And he held up pretty damn well up until basically that end, the end of the series against Miami. Um, I think that Horford has definitely still got some juice left in the tank. I think that it is going to have to be, though, in a diminished role because he was visibly gassed by the end, for sure. Yeah.
1: The the Celtics, also because of the Time Lord injury, had to lean into him playing pretty substantial minutes early in the season and people don't tend to think about that but it's just like the the cumulative fatigue that you can acquire like you know we're like the first month of the season doesn't matter in the playoffs in most people's minds but like if if there's like real load and you're putting like heavy minutes burdens on guys and they're not able to get a rest in the season which is sometimes difficult that can kind of like rear its head and you're like man they just like lost a step it's like no man, he's like 38, 37 and it's like the thing with um the Lakers and LeBron. Yeah. It's like the reason why they can't just the reason why they need a depth is because LeBron is too old to play to carry you for 38 minutes a night in the regular season and then be good in the playoffs, right? Like and I think that's kind of where the Horford situation is at.
2: Oh, let me let me say this too, man. Yeah. I, the thing with Horford I think is offensively, I think he's likely to be just about the same guy. The floor spacing has come around a lot the last couple of years, and there's no reason why that wouldn't hold. And he's always going to be like an excellent connective passer with like, like a, just a really good head for the game. I think it's on the defensive end that he started to show some cracks to where like I thought the appeal with him was always that he he could guard like three through five and he was a good rim protector. And now it's like he can guard and he's a decent rim protector I I think the slippage is happening on defense more than anything
0: and you saw that particularly like in the NBA finals in 2022 when like Steph Curry was hunting Al Horford and that is a real thing and like you know there were times where Jimmy Butler was doing it too um you know I, I think he's not he is by virtue of his age not as ironclad as he was for sure but if you look at the advanced metrics as far as team defense goes as far as like Floor spacing and floor balance and knowing like where to be and shutting off angles. He's still like truly a top five guy. It's kind of crazy to look at.
1: Yeah. He's great. And like, as much as the Porzingis deal feels a little weird, if just on the surface level, if you're like, now we have three good centers, it's like, yeah, but like the best, the best teams play two centers a lot of times. Right. Like, and it's like, you know, the modern power forward is either a small forward or a center who can like mm-hmm. do a bit more. But that being said, yeah,
2: but I think, I think we should try to send it home soon, buddy.
1: Yes. Yes. I want to talk about a, two other things. Fair. Grant Williams leaves and they bring in for his replacement. In my understanding, Jordan Walsh,
0: O'Shea Brissett as well. Maybe I and think. It,
1: Well, O'Shea Brissett is a little bit less exciting. They also brought in Raptors legend, Belano Banton.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: So out of these three guys, James, I know you're a big Walsh fan. I'm a huge Banton fan. I'm sure Brissett has some fans. I'm sure he, I'm sure he has family members who, who hype him up. You know, he's an NBA player. You can never have too many six, seven guys. Um, Unless. No, no you really can't. You can't, you can never have it. So. Who's going to step in and fill that Grant Williams void, you think, out of those three guys? If, or is it someone else on the roster? And am I expecting these guys to play as many minutes as Williams? But to kind of take up that three slash four slash this guy can do a little bit more, a little bit of floor spacing. Which one of these guys do you, do you fancy, as they say?
0: So I will start by saying that in Boston, uh the Jordan Walsh hype train is absolutely off the rails right now. People saw the Summer League and were completely convinced that he is in line for twenty five minutes again. God fucking <laughs> Dude, God fucking <laughs> Dude, the, the
1: the the amount of hype that's generated through Summer League, the, the 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 U team USA and team USA select team sorry, this is a rant, but I gotta go on it. The team USA, Team USA select thing, people are losing their minds over Cade Cunningham because he had a yeah. good game in a scrimmage in a practice people are like oh look how good team you this guy on team usa is against puerto rico puerto rico is a motherfucking u.s territory every guy <laughs> on that team could play for team usa if they wanted to like think about that these guys are literally are like they're literally the leftovers of this country in terms of talent and we're out here being like man like this guy's arrived look at this i'm just i can't stand when there's not NBA games, not because I need to be watching NBA games all the time, but because the shit that comes out of people's mouths from all this lower level basketball, making these definitive statements about people's abilities against non-NBA players and projecting it onto their NBA career and season. It absolutely, it, it kills me. I hate it. I don't yeah. understand it. I wish it didn't exist. I want to destroy <laughs> all of it. There we, there we go.
0: It's done. Please. Um, So I I do think the Jordan Walsh hype is kind of crazy. Um, I I like Jordan Walsh. I think that in like two to three years, he could be a potentially really good player. Um, I think the clear favorite for that spot right now is actually um, not necessarily a Grant Williams type, but is in fact Sam Hauser, uh, who was with the team last year um, and I think shot the ball really well um, and had some surprising off the dribble like moments as well as uh he i think he held up defensively a lot better than i think a lot of people were anticipating um he really got shuffled out of their playoff rotation uh pretty early when i think it became clear that like trey young was going to dice him up anytime that he was on the floor and he never really got back in um i think missoula really shortened the rotation to eight guys after that Hawks series and was pretty firm on that um so I think the logical pick for that is probably Sam Hauser, just because he's been here now two years. He's got some comfort with the system uh, and he can really shoot the crap out of the ball. I think if they're going for a more defensive oriented look, that's probably going to be O'Shapers set who I actually like as a cheap depth pickup. I, I uh, have some friends who are Pacers guys and they speak pretty highly of him and said he had a weird kind of injury play year last year. Um, so I'm I'm willing to hear the argument on O'Shea Brissett, but the reality is it's going to be by committee with those guys until one of them separates themselves. I think the logical pick is probably Hauser. Um, Maybe it's Delano Banton. I'll be perfectly frank in saying that I, I don't think he's going to get rotation minutes. No, um, he
1: is. He is. Delano Banton, dude, you don't understand. Do you don't understand? This dude no. is Delano Banton. He's just He just looks like a player that you want to be on the court. He's six. He's a novelty player, man. He's six, seven. (laughs) He can handle the rock. He's like, he's, he's definitely in that poker mold of just the guy that like you see, you see him touch the ball and play. And you're just like, this guy's like, this guy's got it. He's got whatever it is.
0: He's great value. Ben Simmons. (laughs) i mean
1: i would know if he's great value ben simmons he's more like you know you know how when uh, a team loses the super bowl they already printed the shirts with them winning so they can have him right away he's that shirt he's the shirt of the team that that, the super bowl champion of the team that actually lost um right that's been donated to some third world country that's the delano banton compared to ben simmons (laughs) so sorry delano banton i love you and i love ben simmons so maybe i'm just being too high on ben simmons it's Mm. possible We'll see. Okay, I, I
2: had to talk about Jordan Walsh a little bit, man. Go. Cuz I uh, I'm a huge fan as Devin alluded to. I'm a, I'm a big draft guy in general, uh and so I tend to pay a lot of attention to that stuff. And I'll just list off players that I would have taken Jordan Walsh over myself in the last draft. Uh Jordan Hawkins, Jamie Jacques Jr., uh Noah Clowney, uh Olivier Olivier Maxence Prosper. I'm not even sure how to say that one. Probably Chris Murray, uh, Marcus Sazer, Ben Shepard, Julian Strother, Kobe Brown. I would, I would have taken him over any of those guys if I were but an you're NBA champion. Jordan
0: I, Walsh is like a late lottery pick based on this description.
2: <laughs> I would say like a high 20s. Like, I like to, to me, I, I probably had him like 20th, 21st on my big board overall. Uh, I, yeah, I, think I, 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 I think it was was a very underrated, very underrated 35. prospect, man. Uh, I, I, I don't think that Arkansas was a great environment for him last year because like. Anthony Black and Nick Smith are both primary ball handlers, and and I, I thought the Razorbacks just kind of tried to, like, go the college super team route rather than really putting together a cohesive roster, which, like, fair enough, but uh, I, I think Walsh in a different setting could have raised his stock instead of watching it sort of plummet alongside those two guys who were, like, both showcasing their games, you know?
0: What I like about Jordan Walsh, in particular, aside from the perimeter defense and uh, the shooting, which is apparently pretty decent, um, is that Jordan Walsh, in all of his interviews, has spoken about uh, being uh, how he's going to fit on this team. Like he's been asked, like, what is he going to do on this team? This guy knows exactly how he is going to make his money in the NBA, which yeah. is as a complementary role player. Who can hit threes and defend the perimeter. He has no illusions about, like, I'm the best player, I'm a superstar, y'all all slept on me, et cetera, et cetera. No, Jordan Walsh is here to play a role and to play it well. He spoke specifically about, like, in Summer League, he wanted to mirror his performance to be as close to, complementary to Jason Tatum as it could be. That is exactly what I want to hear out of Jordan Walsh. And I, I am, like, genuinely very optimistic about his Ceiling. I, I think it's a little early to throw him into the rotation right yeah. away. But... Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. No, how Hauser's a better bet. I, I I agree with that. Just like long term, I, I really like Walsh. I, I agree exactly what you're saying. I think he's gonna be a perfect, like just three and the role player, you know? Yeah.
0: And the Celtics need those in the uh second apron era, like they need to get hits in the second round.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this final topic is gonna sure. close us out, and we're gonna talk about Jalen Brown and his super max and how it's going to affect the Celtics going forward. Mm -hmm. Because we've talked about the second apron era. And I think this offseason, as much as it's about getting better, I think a lot of the moves they've made are to protect the team from their upcoming financial realities and whether or not it allows them to get out of bad deals um, or supplement a very expensive core through the draft. But so they've signed Jalen Brown to a five-year, up to. I love how it's reported. the the, the up to that, that number is reported as the number. Jalen Brown, five years up to three hundred and three point seven million. He's going to make thirty one point eight million this season. I think it's like the largest deal ever. AD and of course signed the extension where he got one hundred and eighty six over three more years. Um, so you have Brown at six years. 335.5 million. And then Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, five years, 270 million. Right. So this is kind of the new era of extensions and deals. Do we like uh, how do Celtics fans feel about this deal? Because I will say this first and foremost I do not think Jalen Brown is this type of player in terms of his value to the team. Um, I think he's a very good player, but it's just every single advanced metric that exists season being like, you know, at best, like a top 40 player. And usually like, you know, and some as low as like, you know, past the hundredth best player. And to me, it's look, I don't agree with that, but at the same time I go, I don't think these things are just completely and utterly all missing something. And this is the type of money, a player who's, a for sure top 25 player is going to get. And so my question is like, what are Celtics fans feelings about this deal? And what are your feelings on this deal? Because personally, like they have enough good players around that, like it doesn't really matter and you have to keep him. And if this is what you have to do to keep him fine, I'm not like upset with the deal, but like outside of like that, if this is just, you look at this deal in a vacuum what are are your feelings on it because we're talking about 69 million for a guy who people rumor actually doesn't have a left hand
0: yeah so i mean i think it's honestly pretty close to what you just described which is the reality of the current nba is that you can't let star talent walk for nothing and jalen brown is a star and if you are not planning on extending him you have to trade him you had to trade him this past year and there just wasn't going to be a deal that kept the Celtics in that contending place where they can have a like substantial championship window as we enter Jason Tatum's prime. There just wasn't a deal that really made sense other than to re-sign Jalen Brown. Um, so I think for the most part, Celtics fans, even if there are some Celtics fans, and there definitely are, who are not super thrilled about signing Jalen Brown to that much money, accepted the reality that this is probably what was going to happen. Um, and. I'll speak just for myself and saying that, you know, it, it's a lot of money, and in the second apron <laughs> era, that's a that's a real concern for sure. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a better deal lined up, then you can't let him walk for nothing. Uh, when Jason Tatum is entering his prime, so you've got to pay him. And I think he's a really, really good player. I think he is a borderline All NBA guy in most seasons and a pretty consistent Eastern Conference All Star. He's that type of guy. And the reality is that this is not paying Bradley Beal, you know, a max contract for a Wizards team that is going nowhere as he is exiting his prime. It's not paying Damian Lillard, you know, a five year extension that okay. he'll be with when he's 36. Look, Don't Bradley ask-
1: Beal, Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal wanted to be in Washington which is basically the equivalent of you having a championship team. Because I can tell you this, people don't want to be in Washington. That's why you got the no trade clause.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I I mean, I I understand why the Wizards did that deal. Definitely. I don't. Fuck them. Those fucking Ah. idiots. They just,
1: they just, they they, literally, it's one of those things like, you know, I'm a Wizards fan, but like, I just don't watch them because it's like so much of the last three, four, five years have just been me being like, Look at this decay. Look at this rot. It's like, <laughs> oh, let's go Let's go take a look at, we're, sh- we're home shopping. Let's go take a look at houses that are rotting from the
0: inside and outside. Oh, I don't know like, why would any, you do that? I don't know if there are any Legend of Zelda fans in the chat, but the decayed yes. weapons is just what the Bradley Beal Wizards era is. It's just, <laughs>
1: it's just I mean, g- good yeah. God. Good God.
0: Um, but so like Jalen Brown is 27, he's still got a lot of development and growth. I mean, I, I think he's probably never gonna be like a top 15 player, right? But oh, I no think he, I no think way. he, he can still, yeah. yeah, no. But I think he can still get better. And I think there's definitely things that have me optimistic about like his future as a player. And I also think in the current era of, you know, the salaries being what they are, and uh, you know, the second apron, it's not like the Jalen Brown contract is untradeable if it comes to that. I think yeah, yeah. in it it will not almost certainly not happen for at least three years. Like this, I'm I am anticipating that Tatum and Brown will be on the team together for at least the next three. Cause next year Jason Tatum is going to get a super max contract that is even bigger with a player option and whatever he wants, because it's he can insane. do that. Um but I mean, I think that's just kind of the reality of the current era is like if if you are a top 25 guy, you're in line for max money. And that just kind of is what it is. And I think Jalen Brown is a top 25 guy. Um, I think the Celtics also pretty much had no choice in that matter. Yeah. Like they had to do it, they couldn't afford to let him lose for walk for nothing. And I, I'll I'll you know go out and say that. Like Jason Tatum at the end of the season in his like exit press conference specifically said, the most important thing to do for the Celtics this offseason is to keep Jalen Brown. That's your franchise. That's your main guy. And he is telling you through the media, hey, keep Jalen Brown. I have no interest in us trading Jalen Brown or letting him walk. It stands to reason that there was some substantial pressure from Jason Tatum's camp to get Jalen Brown his money. And if that's the case, given what the Celtics have been trying to do and what they're trying to build around with Jason Tatum, who I think at this point is now unequivocally a top five player in the NBA at this point, um, you have Oof. to do that, period. Oof. You just have to do it. Top five player, Jason top Tatum. five. I, I I stand
1: by I, it. I definitely look I'm not a Celtics fan so it, it's it's easier for me to not have those types of beliefs in the players on the <laughs> team um just because it's like like look like Tatum is great um I think Brown is great but I think the past few seasons like the strength in the Celtics was those two guys are really good. I think they're probably a tier kind of below the the general consensus but everyone behind them, like their depth is was so elite that like they kind of had on aggregate, like a third star player. And like what ends up happening is that like how good a team is kind of determines how people talk about players and like their level of stardom. And the Celtics kind of had like three superstars, except the third one was just like everyone smashed together was like just such an elite kind of like, you know, bench slash depth that you look at them. Oh, like they have two obvious star players based upon points per game and they're this good. So it means like they're at this level, but it's kind of like forgetting about the, it's the strength in numbers. Now I, I, th- I love the Celtics. I just, I think, I think Tatum and Brown are a little bit below kind of the general consensus as players. They're young enough that they could get better. I mean, Tatum more likely than Brown, but yeah, like that's just, yeah. that's just kind of where I stand on it from afar because like, to me, it's like if Tatum was a top five player, like I feel like there's no way they wouldn't have won a championship. Like that's kind of how I see it. Because like, I don't know what? if you
2: could say that, man. Because yeah, I, I mean, know. they they went to, they went to the finals. That's that's proof of concept enough. If you, if you're gonna take that line of thinking, I would say this. I, I I would stop short of unequivocal top five player, and I would say that for me, Jason Tatum is like a fringe top five player. Like, he oscillates. Uh, I, I think there's there's Jokic and there's Giannis, and then that's like a tier, and then there's sort of like.
0: I would Eight. put Steph in that tier as well. Yeah, Ooh, no, you're no right.
2: right, Steph. Yeah, Steph too. Dude, Steph.
0: We got look, man. I'm sorry. We got like I'm tired of
1: respecting the fucking elders. Like this is some bullshit. No, mm-hmm. Steph's Steph
2: still is, dropping like an efficient thirty per though. You know, Steph like okay.
1: Steph is great, but he's he's not in the same tier as Jokic and Giannis. I'm sorry. Like 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 come on. When you when you for me, I got I I factor in durability, right? Like those two guys have been far more durable over the recent years for me where it's just like I can count on them for close to 70 games if I need to right if I'm not coasting to to winning the conference which like you know like I think that's to me the big difference where
0: I'll go there like Steph Steph, people respect Steph too much I'm sorry fuck that bullshit I Um, I will I, I do think after this past run Jokic is in a tier by himself as the best guy like that, that just, there's
2: you can make that case too. You could definitely make that case. I too. think he Don't is me.
0: the outright best guy. I think I I would put Tatum personally. I I I think I ultimately agree with the like he is a borderline top five guy. I think um I, I have him five personally, but I'm biased. Um for me, Jokic, Giannis, Steph Curry. Um I'm still a LeBron guy and will always be a LeBron guy. So no, I he's, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not and I know, but not anymore. I, I, mean, love, I <laughs> love it too, though. Dude, I L- love let me say this.
1: I'll, I Rick- love LeBron, but he's just, it's just the age, man. Like you can't, yeah. it's about, can you be great for a hundred games? Like that's, that's what a season's about. Can you be great for a hundred games? That's playing like 70 games plus 20 playoff games. Right. Like, and like that matters to me. Maybe I overrate playing games, but. listen no. to,
2: to, to bring it back though, it, it, it only softens the point very slightly. The, the overarching point is that. Brown and Tatum seemed to be a package deal. And so you had to extend Brown rather yeah. than watch him walk for nothing because you don't have nearly the resources to replace him. And if he walks for nothing, then Tatum is as good as gone too, And now you're, you're starting over. So the, yeah. the the Brown extension was like a necessary evil, if you even want to call it that.
0: They, they had to do it. And I yeah. think it will ultimately look like a pretty decent deal oh, in like yeah. two to three years. I Honestly, think it looks, yeah, it looks crazy right now because of it's the richest contract in NBA history. But the cap is going to go yeah. way the fuck up fellas yeah it's gonna
1: work yeah, <laughs> yeah. well I think it Brown's on one of these deals where it's like you could like even though like you, you can't you know based off league rules you can't trade him right now but like let's just say you could you could trade him right now because he's on that contract but like in two years wherever when everyone's like knows where the cap is going to be exactly by the end of that contract you could probably trade him pretty easily because just it, it it's and I think this is the final point I want to talk to, about with the Celtics is just like Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis are going to be making in like two years, like combined one hundred and thirty million, yeah. Which is why I think they've loaded up on second round picks, and they also like very sneakily have eight first round picks.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah, no, like, I mean, yeah, like I, I they think.
1: they're players. Like the next guy that becomes available. I think they're a hundred percent players.
0: Absolutely. And-, and, I, and I think that's what Brad Stevens has been all about is trying to thread the needle between contending and maximizing flexibility at the same time, which is a nearly impossible job to do, but the Celtics are in a position to do it. I don't think that it's going to be Damian Willard. Um, but I do think they are well positioned to make a fairly big time move in the next two to three years if they don't win a title with their current core.
1: I feel that James to send us home. You're the fake trade expert who based upon the Celtics, you know, I would say cash of draft assets and actual real NBA talent, because some teams still value getting real NBA players back in trades. Um, Not everyone, but like, you know, Hey, look, it depends on the direction of your franchise. If you're if you're yeah. really trying to suck, yeah, get as many draft picks as possible because the value in trading your best player is you get dog shit, so your picks get great. But who who do you see on the horizon that you think that they could go after that would make sense? Like, I don't know if you've thought about this much. I might be throwing this on you, so I'm going to kind of talk as it looks like you're looking at the computer. It gets to get my uh, inspiration. I, I may
2: or I may not be. Uh... I mean, in terms of like, I, I haven't given a lot of thought to like blockbuster type of like major acquisitions because I just they don't need I just don't, a
1: blockbuster, right?
2: Yeah, okay. So I mean, some guys I've I've liked for well prior to Porzingis, I loved the idea of a Kelly Olynyk reunion, and and I wonder <laughs> if that could still be viable, man. Because I mean, Horford is he's he's you know nearly done, right? So, and I, I already mentioned Tyus Jones. Uh, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I like point guards for them, you know uh yeah who else i'm just looking through the teams here now what about like a markel
1: fultz that would be fun yeah yeah you know just like i mean i'm trying to think who's who's an because really this roster like they're they don't need a center they don't need wings like the only position where you could be like they need like a big upgrade would be the point guard position
2: I could see Davy and Mitchell could be a possibility for them, maybe on the Kings. There, and Evan, I know you don't really like him, but like we're not going to pretend that he's a, he's a non-player either. You know, Caruso yeah. would be interesting. They cool. they they like point of attack defense.
1: Dude, Caruso Caruso is literally maybe the greatest perimeter defender ever, or he may be at the greatest perimeter defensive season of like the last fifteen years or something absurd. Last season, let's was,
0: let's aim a little bigger. Let's get a little spicy with this. Okay. all the reporting that we've seen, uh, you know, or a lot of it has suggested that Brad Stevens is trying to load this team up to make a big move. And he's just waiting on for the next shoe to drop. Um, The Drew Hanlon connection, I think, is a real thing. And I don't necessarily think that Philly is headed for the period of great contention right now. Why not shake things up a little bit? All of those big men into joel Embiid. you what the i mean as much as
1: i don't hate that on any level for both sides there is always the thing it's like i don't know daryl Morey might not give a fuck um if he still has a job if he has to trade joel Embiid, right like I, I don't know if i would want to keep employing daryl Morey if it's like yeah hey, i guess we're gonna trade joel Embiid. now it's like great you fucked up get the fuck out of here um yeah, i
2: think so too yeah yeah it's like it's like
1: thanks a lot dude. yeah but there's the whole, like, we don't trade players to rivals. Like, like do you, don't do you think that, like, the Philly ownership would be like, I don't care if they have the best offer. Like, I we cannot send in to the Celtics. Our fans will literally never forgive us. We'll have an empty arena.
0: It's entirely possible. And I'm being at least half facetious in that. But I do think Jason Tatum and Joel indeed are friends. And I do think one of those guys' teams is well set up for contending. And the other one... I'm a little more nervous about. You know,
1: <laughs> this one would be a little bit a little bit crazier. But let's just say the Bucks think that Giannis is gonna walk.
0: I mean <laughs> what
1: if what if they try to make a move? For Drew Holiday, because that guy oh. is like, what if what, what No, I'm not saying Giannis, right? But like, you're gonna say Giannis,
2: <laughs> yeah, so, no, here's, here's yeah, here's Drew Holiday, that's fantastic, yeah,
1: yeah. If like Giannis is leaving Milwaukee, I'm sorry, he's not going to Boston. No offense to yeah. Boston, but like you know, he's from Greece, right? Like I don't think he's going to a place where he's like, oh what if I could find a just as cold, worse weather place than Milwaukee? Boston. He's going to Dallas if he leaves. I'm calling it now. Okay I see, okay I can absolutely I, see that yeah Dude that, would, that I mean what would uh, what would Boston Celtics fans do like like there is there is a not unsubstantial portion of the fan base that would give up one of one third of their genitalia to acquire Luka Doncic ah. like like I'm like I'm literally like the number of testicles the fucking Mavericks could acquire from Boston Area Men to acquire Luka Doncic as like a sacrifice just to like be like fuck it we're taking everything you hold dear if
2: you're going to get this, is- this guy I think this is the end of the episode, man. Yeah, this
0: is where this is where I get off. I'm a I'm a, <laughs> yeah. a Tatum guy through and through. Don't do don't ditch that dude for anybody.
1: Oh no, <laughs> you no, know, Luca. You get Luca like for like Jalen Brown and whatever, right? Like Yeah,
0: things are getting weird now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're getting too crazy. I'm, i know we're getting crazy, but Luca's not gonna stay in Dallas. That's that's my that's my hot take. Because who, I mean, oh, because it's like they just look, this is the best roster they put around Luca. And they gave up a twenty. They've given up like 20, first and like a 20, first, And you're talking about like Kyrie Irving and Grant Williams. Like, that's that's. I think, think Jalen
0: Brunson might have something to say about that take, but I don't know. <laughs> I digress. I mean,
1: Kyrie's better than Jalen Brunson. Okay, <laughs> I, think, I, I I took this. I took this off the rails. We are. Uh, we you know. Yeah. Cra- sorry, I just I had yeah. to. I had to bring up how desperate Bill Simmons would become oh, if you thought that Luka Doncic would, be would become nightmare. on the Celtics. Jesus. There's like, because here's the thing, like deep down, everyone that, no offense to Celtics fans, if there's any listening to this, everyone knows, or the, the general, the general, the general national vibe with Celtics fans is they love a great white player. And it's probably not fair just because they had Larry Bird, but that's, that's the general vibe is that they're like, they're looking for the next great white player.
0: You're saying um, Luke Cornette isn't that guy?
1: I, I mean, you know what? <laughs> now that you bring it up, I think Peyton Pritchard, you know, he's probably going to be their starting point guard. We spent all this time talking about fucking Derek White. <laughs> we should be talking about Peyton Pritchard. We didn't even bring him up once to the very oh, end. Oh, man. <laughs> he's, he's a solid player. He's a solid player. Good draft pick, Um, but we will see. Okay. I want to once again thank Alex Goldberg for joining us, he's of Celtics Lab. If you are a basketball fan, if you're indie pop fan, he's of Divine Sweater. Check out both, even if you're not either of those things. Because fuck you, you need to support us, you need to support <laughs> us and our friends. Okay, this is it's hard out here. It's hard out here. Remember to check us out on Substack at Above the Break. I am about to get up a Tiers one, two, and three of the NBA's most valuable contracts from the past season. I calculate each player's wins and the cost of a single win, and basically compared what that is and their salary. So we have all the guys and their surplus value and all their z scores and all this nerdy great shit that will make you go, "Oh damn!" Rookie contracts are some bullshit. Um, they are the cheat code if you get someone good. Anyways, James, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here?
2: Nothing above the break. That's all. And Celtics Lab. And Celtics Lab, of course. Thanks, thanks, Alex. Uh, Great chats. Appreciate you coming on, man.
1: All right.
0: Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you.
1: And this is how we end it. So just, just follow my lead, Alex. We'll be back next weekend. Peace.